Blanche Dubois makes a surprise visit to her younger sister, Stella, and her husband, Stanley, in New Orleans. The short-term visit quickly turns toxic when Stanley learns the Dubois family home was lost. The book, A Streetcar Named Desire. The author, Tennessee Williams. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's Let's get get lit! Hi readers, this is Alexis. And this is Kari. You're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. So, Kari. Yes, good evening. We are back for another wild card episode. This is our final one of the season. Yes, yes. (laughs) So, if you want to see our faces, uh, go to YouTube. Yeah, Yeah. go to YouTube. So, Kari, um... I got a question for you. Okay. Yes or no. Okay. A sufficient response. <laughs> Have you ever been in a toxic relationship? No. Ooh, that was so Unfortunately, because the stories that come out of toxic relationships are always so titillating. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. unfortunately, I have not. What about you? Yeah, listen, when I mention this theme to you. Yeah. Um, you immediately ask me if I was in a toxic yeah. relationship. I didn't see that question coming <laughs> at all. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I never immediately looked at myself. I, I should do better. Well, I didn't answer it right away because I thought of only relationships that I've had with men. Mm. But oh. the thing is, I have mm. to consider all my relationships. I only considered romantic relationships. Yeah. Perhaps I've been in a toxic friendship. Yeah. yeah that's mm-hmm. workmates, women friends, oh. and even family. Well, when you put it that way. Yeah. So many. Listen, <laughs> let's dig a little deeper into the topic, um, which is this week's theme. Okay. And as you know, readers, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we're reading. And this week's theme is... Signs you're in a toxic relationship and what to do next. Oh, wow. I love this. Okay, let me get my gin and tonic. I'm ready for the toxicity. Not the gin and tonic. Well, I'm going to join you in just a second. So, (laughs) not to say too much. Okay, so let's define toxic relationships. How would you define it? Um, I would define it as, well, can I start with what I, how I define love? That would be great. I love that. Okay. I think someone who truly loves you is interested in your physical and spiritual well-being. Anyone who actively tries to harm you physically or spiritually is toxic to me. Um, And I don't mean... Sometimes people accidentally hurt you. I mean people that... um, your, Your health in that way is the bottom of their priorities. It's literally on the floor. They mostly care about something related to themselves. Mm -hmm. So they do things that hurt you. They know it's going to hurt you and they do it anyway. And they habitually act in this manner. To me, that's a toxic person and being in a relationship with them is a toxic relationship. That's what I would say. What about you? Okay, so listen, you always go in depth. Um, When I think of a toxic (laughs) relationship, I think first of actions. 
I'm within a relationship. Like, and if you ain't got no job. No. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> like, arguments <laughs> or fighting. Mm. That's to me, is toxic. Because arguments that alone? Arguments and fights. Now, we argue all no. the time. Mm. Wait, is this a toxic friendship? <laughs> I don't care. Don't get out no. of it. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, a toxic relationship is one that damages instead of builds up. Mm, oh, that's perfect. Is that too vague, though? That's a great, concise way to say all the words I was just rambling. I think that's great. <laughs> all your relationships should build you up in um, some type of way. And sometimes people need you more than you need them. But I've that doesn't that. mean the relationship yeah. doesn't build you up. So, yeah. yeah, I love that. I learned that. So um, let's see what the definition is. And I put this definition from verywellmind.com. And it says, a toxic relationship is one that makes you feel unsupported, misunderstood, mm. demeaned, or attacked. Demeaned. Mm. On a basic level, any relationship that makes you feel worse than better can become toxic over time. And have I been in a t- toxic relationship? Yeah, mm-hmm. I have. I can say that. Mm-hmm. Um, not always romantic. I mean, I don't think I've ever been in one that was romantic, mm-hmm. but um, so I can fit it into these other categories yeah. uh, uh, relationships with other women, mm-hmm. um, relationships within the family, mm-hmm. workmates. I can count those. Yeah. So, um, a website I wanted to say is called Very Well Mind. Okay. So, what are the signs that you're in a toxic relationship? Let us know. You kind of mentioned that in your intro as you describe love. So I, I think um, that's a good basis for us. But very well mind lists 10 signs that we can look for. Um, the first one is you give more than you're getting. Mm. Now you kind of talked about that. But the giving more than you're getting leaves you feeling devalued and depleted. That's the key to me because um, all relationships, there's um, someone's giving more than they're getting at any particular time uh, to me. So yeah, the fact that you feel devalued. I mean, that's like uh, parents can't just leave the house like everybody taking more than they give. (laughs) And you got a three-year-old kid in there like, gaga (laughs) goo-goo, I'm out of here. No, that ain't how it works. That's the relationship you need to be a part of. But to feel devalued in the relationship. um, Yeah, that's major key. Thank you. The second one, um, you feel consistently disrespected or that your needs are not being met. Mm. Um, A third one, you feel a toll on your self-esteem over time. Um, The fourth one, you feel unsupported, misunderstood, demeaned, or attacked. You feel depressed, angry, or tired after speaking or being with the other person. You bring out the worst in each other. Um, It gives an example. Your competitive friend brings out a spite-based competitive streak Mm. that is not enjoyable for you. Got it. Another one, you're not your best self around the other person. Mm. They give an example of being gossipy. That's come out or your mean streak, mm-hmm. one that you don't normally have, mm-hmm. but it they appeal shows to up. the worst part of you. Yeah, I like that is. too that you brought that up because if you acting in a way that's not um, in harmony with reaching your goals in life or your mission in life, and someone keeps telling you like a mom every time you talk to them, they like you did this yet because remember you want to do this, you know, don't forget that might make you feel bad. 
And you might be like, man, is this relationship toxic? No, that person probably could ease off the gas a little bit, but they're trying to make you better. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they're not good at that, but their interest is in bettering you. Yeah, there's 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 different levels to that. Yeah. Now, if they like, why aren't you married yet? That might be toxic, actually. Yeah, that might be toxic. <laughs> yeah. Because that's so almost like an attack, right? Yeah. Yeah. Back <laughs> <laughs> up for me with that question. Mm-hmm. Um, another one. You feel like you have to walk on eggshells around this person to keep from becoming a target of their venom. Mm-hmm. You ever have that experience? Sure, for sure. Yeah. You spend a lot of time and emotional strength trying to cheer them up. Mm. And then finally, you are always to blame. They turn things around. So things you thought were done wrong are suddenly by them are suddenly your fault. They gaslight you. Yeah. In real life, in real life. So there's also, I would say, jealousy and envy in there. Mm. That that plays a little bit in there. Um, what about before I go into, um, some things you can do next, what about the idea of being in a toxic relationship with yourself? Do you think that's possible? Oh, for sure. Because some people are so negative and so down on themselves in their heads and that's a safe place to really call yourself names and (laughs) say, you, you know, you knew when things don't work out, you knew they weren't going to work out. Look at you. That's why, you know? Yeah. So absolutely. So what to do next? Mm -hmm. First and foremost, you got to decide if the relationship is worth working on. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important piece because then you can decide if you want to do all the other steps. Um, Their first step is acceptance of responsibility. So being accountable to how that relationship exists. If you're your role in that, it takes two, right? Your role in that, how are you contributing? Are you answering the phone every time they call? Are you yeah. putting yourself in position to be used by them? Yeah, that's okay. hard. Um, a willingness to invest. And if you're willing to invest, that means you got to be patient, right? Mm-hmm. That's important because any kind of change is going to take some time. For sure, yeah. Um, the third point on what to do next is to shift from blame to understanding. Mm -hmm. So that would entail not dwelling on the past and having compassion Mm -hmm. because change again, it takes time, but you got to have a little compassion as people work through their um, issues. Issues. eh? Yeah. Either you or yourself as you work through your issues Mm -hmm. and or as they work through their issues. And then finally, some kind of therapy, counseling, outside support of the relationship in which you're in. And that could be therapy for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably really important. Mm -hmm. And then if it's a couple, then therapy for the couple. So that is Signs you're in a toxic relationship and what to do next. Thank you. Uh, This is a subject I've never seriously thought about and you've given me much to consider. (laughs) I'm going to log this away for when I think I need it because it's I think it's crucial information. Thank you. I think it is. Sometimes we're in toxic relationships and we really don't realize it Mm -hmm. because um, that kind of behavior is what we've come to expect yeah, and we accept it we and normalize it like we normalize mm-hmm. it. And that's just like, 
that's not okay. So you need these signs to be like, this isn't okay. This isn't normal. And this doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And maybe I should change my behavior or stop letting them take their behavior out on me. Absolutely. Well, again, that was signs you're in a toxic relationship and what to do next. Why don't we take a quick break before we jump into the author and context? Let's do it. Okay, we're back. Yes, Carly. What can you share about the author and context for this book? So our author for this play is very famous playwright, Tennessee Williams, born Thomas Laner Williams, March 26, 1911. I did not realize that far back. February 25th, um, or he died, excuse me, February 25th, 1983. But let's talk about his family, his upbringing, because that way we're actually going to understand how he became who he was. Um, First of all, his father was a traveling shoe salesman that was rarely home. When he was home, he drank way too much. He was an alcoholic. Um, He also was abusive verbally and physically to both Tennessee, Tennessee siblings and their mother. Now the mother, she was raised in a religious household, felt trapped in her marriage to an abuser um, who was rarely home again to raise his children. Eventually, she did separate from her husband, but she never divorced officially. Oh, okay. Um, then his sister, she was schizophrenic. And due to an extreme episode, she underwent a lobotomy. Um, oh. So she that procedure which took a portion of her brain, left her needing 24-7 care uh, for the rest of her life. And Tennessee was very close to her. So he would assign later a percentage of his royalties from his most successful works to her for her care. Wow. And then sometimes he would live in New York and he made sure to put her in a facility on the East Coast close to him so that he could visit often. He did have a brother, but I don't have much information about him. Um, And then there are the romantic relationships that shape Tennessee. He dated women before um, living openly as a homosexual, um, starting in his 20s. And this period also included a time, unfortunately, unfortunately, where he lived with a teenage boy in Italy, in Rome. A teenage boy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he would eventually spend 14 years of his life with an actor named Frank Merlo. And Merlo later died of cancer in 1963. There was a period too early on um, where he was with a man who left him for a woman. And then that man died shortly after. And that also, there was a lot of death is what I'm trying to say yeah. around Tennessee. Okay. Um, with those that he cared about. And then his mental health. So Williams often feared for his mental sanity because his his sister sister. was schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, he worried about his own mental state. He would pacify himself with drugs that coerced his nervous system into action or inactivity. Um, And the catalyst for his drug use and bouts of depression included memories of his childhood, the loss of friends and, yes, his sister's condition. Mm. Several times he was hospitalized and committed to mental health facilities for treatment. 
So he died in 1983. Again, Williams was found dead at a hotel in New York from an overdose. He was 71 years old. So there's a lot of tragedy there, but I want to talk about his successes, um, his career and his legacy. So despite the challenges in his life, Williams dedicated himself to writing at a young age. And I have a quote from his mom. She said, Tom would go to his room with black coffee and cigarettes, and I would hear the typewriter <laughs> clicking away at night in the silent house. Wait, how was he <laughs> but remember from a young age yes, he dedicated himself to yes. writing but yeah you think cigarettes and coffee I hope he wasn't like eight mom mom <laughs> Yeah, so she said some mornings when I walked in to wake him for work, I would find him sprawled, fully dressed across the bed, too tired to remove his clothes. Um, One thing that's similar to August Wilson, Tennessee Williams didn't find much success in traditional schooling, but his education was past the walls of a classroom. He continually educated himself and honed in on his craft. He, he set goals to write a complete work every week, which is insane. Wow. Mm-hmm. And like August Wilson, also he took menial jobs just to support himself and his passion. Okay. Um, still, he never found mainstream success until his 30s with The Glass Menagerie, a play which, with, which had um, strong autobiographical um, elements. Okay. And then his next play was A Streetcar Named Desire, which we're reading today. Wait, wait. So the first one is Glass Menagerie and this, this is, is second? The, this is the first one where he found success oh, and it wasn't until okay. his 30s. So he had written a lot before uh, then. And this was the next successful Yeah, this one. was the one that the world embraced and the streetcar named Desire followed that and was even more successful okay. and applauded and awarded. Um, it really cemented him as one of the greatest playwrights to ever live. Streetcar Named Desire did that for him. Wow. So that's um, Tennessee. I was about to say August Wilson. That's Tennessee Williams. <laughs> I don't have a size rack here, but gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. Okay, listen. That was great information. I didn't know all of that about him. So yeah. that was pretty cool to learn. Um, why don't you share a brief synopsis without spoilers before our deep dive? Okay, this is what I got. Her lips talk of wealth, grace, and power, but her eyes beg for forgiveness and grace. Blanche Dubois walks into her sister Stella's life after years of absence, unannounced, needing a place to live. Stella's husband, however, is angered by the woman's pride and pretentiousness. In the end, desire leads them all to damage. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. Alexis, what were your first thoughts of a streetcar named Desire? Listen. I saw this as a movie at a young age. Marlon Brando. Yeah, (laughs) Marlon Brando. And not aware that it was a book. Or a play. Or a play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know it was a play. And I think Ella Kazan was the director. And I was familiar with Ella Kazan's work. Mm -hmm. But Ella Kazan did a lot of Tennessee Williams works. Oh, wow. So... And I had seen many of them and they were just really great pieces of work. So now learning years later that there's actually a play to it, I was, of course, interested in reading it. Mm -hmm. And what I am finding as we read these plays is that the movie, whatever movie was created, Mm -hmm. 
is not very different from the book. I don't yeah. know what I'm looking for, yeah. but they're not different. They try to stick to the source material. Yes. And with the play, there's not a lot there. Whereas with a book, you can kind of cut things yes. out, play around, merge them yes. like Crazy Rich Asians, which we did. It's very different from the book in yeah. a lot of ways. But yeah, you're right. The play sticks to the, the movie sticks to the play usually. And I really love that. So I was excited to read yet another um, play. Mm-hmm. How about you? Who do you think would enjoy reading this? Yeah, I think if you enjoyed Fences and how it, um, capsulizes a period of Americana, of American history. This is giving you not a black American viewpoint, but a viewpoint post Civil War, um, you know, post, um, post, uh, like, during the start of Jim Crow and maybe even while Jim Crow was already um, sinking its teeth into the South, there were people whose lives were falling apart, not saying we should pity them because they built their wealth on the backs of, you know, children and families um, who were kidnapped and drug over from Africa. But their world fell apart and it really left a lot of people just floundering. Um, So this is giving you an insight into what of the fictional woman from the um, antebellum South looked like after a lo- decades after that life fell apart. Right, right. And it was a slow burn when these estates crumbled. It, it wasn't like the war is over. Black people are free and now we're broke always. Sometimes it took years for these estates to fall apart. Yeah. And people were left not really having any type of skills or ways to be self-sufficient outside of their wealth and societies. So yeah. if you enjoy that, you'll <laughs> love this. I immediately <laughs> think of as you, you speak about that, gone with the sure. wind. That's like the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um Clinging to men because men provide stability. And what is what can a woman do? And not blaming um, women for needing men. What else were you going to do? Yeah. And so they really uh, sought a suitor and a husband with everything they had. Yeah. And then within the book, she talks about generations of people dying. So, yeah, you can tell that it took time for this. um, Dismantling. Yeah. Of their yeah, um, ancestry, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, Kari, are you ready to take a spoiler-filled deep dive into a streetcar named Desire? That's it. Again, look at us on the YouTubes. On the, the YouTuber. And here we go. A deep dive into a streetcar named Desire. Part one. Look what the wind blew in. So, Blanche Dubois, a school teacher from Lowell, Mississippi, arrives at the New Orleans apartment of her sister Stella, um, Stella Kowalski. So, despite the fact that Blanche seems to have fallen out of close contact with Stella, she intends to stay at Stella's apartment for um, a time period yet to be disclosed. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got a really big trunk with her, uh-huh. full of stuff. You know, that's a nightmare, your relatives showing up with a big trunk full of stuff. You're like, what it, um, it, it yeah, can- and no return ticket. My mama just did that, but it was great. <laughs> Loved having you here, mom. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so in this first scene, in these first few moments even of the first scene, we quickly realize um, that Blanche is frail, but yeah. vain. Yeah. Um, also, she speaks as if she's the grand lady of a sprawling plantation, but she can't afford a hotel room, obviously. So I something be- wrong. Damn, popped up in my little one bedroom. Talking about can I sleep over? And 
I'm disgusted by how small what? this is, how filthy it is. Look at your neighborhood. You're with common people. How far are you falling, Stella? This is Blanche needing a place to stay. What's wrong? What's going on? You know, let's not talk about it right now. Let's get my stuff together. And where am I going <laughs> to sleep? Can I take a bath? Yeah. She is disgusted <laughs> to know there are only two rooms in this whole apartment. Right. And there's there. a man here. So how am I going to have privacy? <laughs> in real so, life yeah her sister Stella appears more solid in the scene more stable um, but their relationship their closeness is unclear between the two Blanche does most of the talking and you wonder does Blanche even know Stella does she have room in her heart and mind to learn who her sister is does she care um, Stella mostly stays quiet around Blanche while acting as caretaker for her older sister so if Blanche wants a coke she gets a coke for her. if she wants something stronger than a coke she'll get that for her yeah. too um, and Blanche even comments about how extra weight looks good on you Stella not realizing Stella's pregnant <laughs> I really came in with alright all mm-hmm. the comments yeah so um, Blanche quickly confesses that their ancestral estate is gone forever how it's been lost. And this made me think of the importance of being earnest. <laughs> um, when Oscar writes that a character has lost both of his parents mm-hmm. and the supporting character goes, I understand losing one parent, but losing both, it's just negligence. <laughs> what did you do to lose them? Go find them. <laughs> and bring back and bring them at back. least one of them. So Blanche also says she's been given a leave from work because of her bad nerves. So they're so kind at my job. They realize I'm going through a lot. They let me off of work for a little bit. I'll be back later. That is so modern. Yeah. Yeah, you know what that's like mental health so, leaves yeah she said that. I need a mental health break <laughs> so um, Stanley Kowalski arrives home and he walks in that's Stella's husband he is a large loud and passionate man he's passionate about everything he does he caresses his wife before learning that her sister is in town and has lost the family's estate and then once he hears that that's all he can think about <laughs> that's it <laughs> that is it. The estate uh, becomes his chief concern. Now, as a reader, you like, but it wasn't even your estate. It estate. wasn't even yours. Oh, he got an answer for you. <laughs> What's the answer? What's the answer? He repeats that under the Napoleonic law, what belongs to his wife belongs to him. And see, in New Orleans, they under the Napoleonic law. Mm-hmm. So her sister has lost their estate and he wants to see the papers. If she sold it, where is their money? Mm-hmm. He's throwing their around we he must be French yeah so (laughs) he's Polish so um how do you feel about Stanley at this point I already don't like him yeah in the businesses Mm -hmm. and whatnot Um, not his business and I I suppose he just trying to be protective perhaps maybe that's another way of looking at it Yeah, maybe. So immediately Stanley hates Blanche, though. And when Blanche tries to flirt with him, she even tells her sister, yes, I was flirting with your husband. (laughs) I was. She said it right out. So um, when Blanche tries to flirt with him, he seems to hate her more. So Blanche, sensing that an intense discussion is coming from Stanley, sends her little sister off to the store and they have a frank discussion. Um, Blanche and Stanley are alone. And in the process of defending herself to her brother-in-law, Blanche reveals that Belle Reeve, the family estate, was lost due to a foreclosed mortgage. And it's like, you've had this place forever. How did you, how did this happen? Well, yeah, yeah. 
Um, a disclosure that signifies the dire nature of Blanche's financial circumstances this becomes. So now it's clear Blanche has nothing. Nothing. But a she trunk is. full of fake jewelry <laughs> and feathered coats. So <laughs> not fake jewelry. Yeah. All the costume jewelry you could get was fit into this. That she claims is from her old lovers. Mm -hmm. They're not probably. I don't know, maybe. So anyway, another reason to hate her, Stanley finds, is that Blanche has managed to drink a large amount of his liquor in her short entrance. (laughs) He comments about it. He came in and the liquor bottle was empty. He was like, hmm. Who took my stuff? So we're learning about Blanche. Part two, as we drink our gin and tonics. Part two. (laughs) Poker should not be played in a house with women. Mm. So Stanley's friends include a mix of people from the neighborhood and those he met in the war. They are all mostly immigrants and all are married except for one whose name is Mitch. Mitch cares for his aging mother. It is clear that they bond over routine, drunken poker nights, and Stanley acts as the alpha male amongst them all. Mm. He's the loudest, the um, most brazen, okay? Blanche and Stella walk in around like one in the morning, I think, after a wholesome two. night. It was two. It was two in the morning. Yeah, two they in had the morning. a girls' night. They knew the boys were playing poker, so they wanted to give them some space. They like went to see a movie, and Blanche had three cocktails, which is much more than her usual one. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she quickly gets under Stanley's skin. She's like real talkative, and he just hates it. He's been drinking too all night, okay? Mm-hmm. Blanche is very sensual as a person and catches the eye of Stanley's friend, Mitch. Remember, that's the one that's not married, that's caring for his aging mother. Um, And Mitch can no longer focus on the game. He's like asking questions about Blanche and then he gets up to actually just go talk to her. This angers Stanley, who may feel in this moment that he's losing control, not just of the room, but of his household. Is I that, would agree, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. He needs to have this tight control on everyone, mm-hmm. um, which no doubt comes from fear. And then also he's losing at the game. Oh, is that so right he's too? losing okay. the game. His friend is now distracted by this woman that he doesn't care for. Right. And so it's like his rage is boiling Mm -hmm. and he's also intoxicated. I also saw like because Blanche was flirting with him when she first arrived and she's so sensual, it's not hard for me to also imagine that he sees some um, almost sexual ownership over her too as his sister-in-law. And as Mitch is now openly interested in Blanche, that angers another side of Stanley also. I can agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so after a lot of bad behavior, throwing things around, I think he threw something out a window or broke a window. A radio out the window. A radio out the window. Yeah. And he takes out all his anger on Stella's face and her body. Despite knowing she's pregnant, he beats her. Um, His friends pull him off of his wife and Blanche and Stella run upstairs. They flee to the neighbor's flat, Eunice, who again lives upstairs. In the most famous scene of the play, Stanley immediately becomes like pitifully petulant Um, and like a child he begs Eunice to release his baby he needs his baby he needs his Stella Stella oh very good yeah okay Uh Um, (laughs) Stella runs back to him and they're engulfed in their fiery passion for each other can I say toxic yeah it's a toxic relationship. So Blanche can hear everything from outside the door of her sister's two room home. And she is distraught by the fact that Stella went back to this man. Mm-hmm. Um, 
while Blanche is outside mentally disturbed, Mitch approaches her, calms her and comforts her a bit. It's clear that he wants to take her on a date and things are looking up a little bit Mm -hmm. for Blanche, I guess. So the next morning, there's a contrast here. Um, Stella is all relaxed. The sun's shining down on her. She's all happy and satisfied. And Blanche uh, walks in. She ain't slept all night. She a mess. And she's like, Stella, we got to go. <laughs> and Stella's like, bags. We got to get out of here. Blanche, he just had a little episode. I don't mind him none. I just let him be a man, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's clear that Stella's in love and in lust with her husband, and his brashness only draws her to him more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's clear to me now that Stella is like the opposite of Blanche. We learned that Blanche married a young man who wrote poetry, spoke softly, and was sweet and beautiful. Stella is drawn to a man outside of her class who acts impulsively and excites her sexually. Yep. yep. So they yep. are like opposites, these Very sisters. In this conversation between them two, Blanche confesses that she doesn't have a penny to her name and she opens or she hopes that Mitch is going to provide the stability that she needs in life. She needs a home. She needs protection. She needs security. She needs a man. All of that is wrapped into a man. And Stella assures her sister, it's going to happen. If you want it to happen, Mitch is the one to marry. He's so kind. Um, When his mother dies, he's going to be so lonely and no doubt that's on his mind. He'll marry you. Um, Blanche also then admits, I'm disgusted by your husband, though. (laughs) Let's not lose the plot. Can we leave? (laughs) And I have a plan. Yeah, I have a plan. I got a rich, wealthy lover, ex-lover that'll take us in. That's right. Whatever. Um, And Stella makes it clear she's not going nowhere and she doesn't see herself as suffering. And you is my house guest, so... (laughs) Settle down now. Settle down, sis. Um, So, uh, yeah. Um, While Blanche is putting down Stanley... Stanley is secretly waiting outside the door, listening yeah, to everything. Mm-hmm. He listens secretly and walks in during this conversation. And he hints to Blanche, I've heard some things about you. Mm-hmm. And this visibly rattles Blanche. And she asks Stella, have you heard anything about me? Mm-hmm. They have called this man Common. Yeah. Who you calling Common? Not they. Uh, well, yeah, they, right? Because Stella's like, yeah, he Common and I love him. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, anyway... While waiting for Mitch to arrive for their first date, Blanche hears a knock at the door. There is no one in the home except her. When she opens the door, she finds a very young teenage boy selling newspapers. He reminds her of her younger years and the beautiful young boy she married when she was young. She flirts with him aggressively and kisses him passionately and lustfully on the lips before dismissing him by saying, it would be nice to keep you, but I've got to be good and keep my hands off of children. (laughs) You guys, we just learned that she's a pedophile. Layers. Yeah. So Mitch arrives and they go on their date in a surprisingly sincere heart to heart between the two characters. Blanche reveals the tragedy of her past. Do you want to divulge what happened between her first her and her first husband? So if I understand it correctly, um, they got married Mm -hmm. because there was love and passion Mm -hmm. there at least on one side. Mm -hmm. And she finds out after they get married that her husband 
has been involved in a relationship with another man. For years, I know yeah. an older man that was a friend to him. Yes. Mm-hmm. She and thought a room in her house was empty and it wasn't. It, they were in there and she saw them. Yeah. Yeah. And so when she finds out, she's disgusted. Well, first she acts like nothing happened and they all go on like a little road trip together and they're on the dance floor. But her then and her she husband. gets drunk. And oh, that's that right? when, yeah, she becomes. She tells him, I saw you and you disgust me. Mm-hmm. And immediately her husband runs off the dance floor and a shot is heard outside. He shoots himself in the head. Mm-hmm. So her first husband committed suicide when um, it came to light that she saw him and that other man. Um Mitch takes this well and he he says, you know, we both need love. And he tells Blanche that we need each other. He He wants to marry her. Yeah, he does. Hotel Tarantula, where I brought my victims. <laughs> so this is my favorite line of the oh play. Oh my goodness. So a month has passed and Stella is at home setting the table for a double date. Her and her husband Stanley and her sister Blanche and Blanche's beau yeah. Mitch. It's, it's Blanche's birthday. Stanley walks in. When alone with his wife, Stanley tells Stella that he's checked into all the tales Blanche, your sister's been telling. And guess what? They're all lies. In fact, she's far from a lady. A guy he knows knows a guy who knows Blanche and he told him the truth. In In fact, Blanche was a prostitute. Sometimes you didn't even have to pay her. Okay, a town degenerate so infamous that the mayor had to run her out of the county. He says that after losing the Dubois mansion, Blanche moved into a flea bag motel from which she was eventually evicted because of her numerous, numerous liaisons. Oh, she ain't laid off from her job at the school. They Uh fired her for having an indecent relationship with one of the children there. Mm Stella's like, um, you're a liar and I refuse to believe a word you're saying. Everyone in this play is like choosing their reality. (laughs) In real life. Mm -hmm. And while this story is being told to Stella, Blanche is, you already know how small the apartment is. Mm -hmm. Blanche is in the tub singing. Yeah, she can't hear anything because she's so happy Mitch is going to marry her and they got a double date and Mm -hmm. it's her 25th birthday. I think she's like 45. (laughs) Um, But here we go. So Stella also is imagining how Blanche was when they were growing up and she was always so soft and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of is what led to her um, demise, perhaps, because she was so naive. Yeah. Um, and another thing, Stanley was told Stanley has told Mitch everything he learned. So Mitch isn't coming. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, lastly, Stanley's brought a one-way ticket to nowhere just for Blanche. He wants her out the house. So dinner is uncomfortable. Mitch never shows up. Stanley stands and reveals everything he's done. He's so proud of himself. Um, He lets Blanche know, I told Mitch about you, so you can stop pretending that you're so glorious. Um, Also, here's a ticket to Garbage Land. Have fun. (laughs) Because you leaving here. He literally bought her a ticket back home, a one-way ticket. And Blanche begins breaking down mentally right in front of them. And it seems that it's so off-putting how cruel he's being that Stella might actually leave him. But we'll never know because what happens? She goes into labor. She goes into labor. Yes. Stanley and Stella rush to the hospital and Blanche stays home and drinks. 
This is one of the lowest points of her life. Um, Mitch walks in. I don't mind you being older than what I thought, but all the rest of it, that piece about your ideals being so old fashioned and all the malarkey that you dished out all summer. Oh, I knew you weren't 16 anymore, but I was a fool enough to believe you were straight. Who told you I wasn't straight? My loving brother-in-law. <laughs> and you believed him. I called him a liar at first. And then I checked on the story. First, I asked our supply man who travels through Laurel. And then I talked directly over long distance to the merchant. Who is the merchant? Kefaba. The merchant Kefaba of Laurel. I know the man. He whistled at me. I put him in his place. So now for revenge, he makes up stories about me. Three people, Kefaba, Stanley, and Shaw, swore to them. Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub and such a filthy tub. Didn't you stay at a hotel called the Flamingo? Flamingo? No. Tarantula was the name of it. I stayed at a hotel called the Tarantula Arms. Tarantula? Yes, a big spider. That's where I brought my victims. Yes, I had many intimacies with strangers after the death of Alan. Intimacies with strangers was all I seemed able to fill my empty heart with. I think it was panic, just just panic, that drove me from one to another, hunting for some protection here and there in the most unlikely places, even at last in a 17-year-old boy. But somebody wrote the superintendent about it. This woman is morally unfit for her position. <laughs> True. Yes, I suppose unfit somehow. Anyway, so I came here. There was nowhere else to go. I was played out. You know, you know what played out is? My youth was suddenly gone up the water spout and I met you. You said you needed somebody. Well, I needed somebody too. I thanked God for you because you seemed to be gentle, a cleft in the rock of the world that I could hide in. But I guess I was asking, hoping too much. Kiefer, both Stanley and Shaw have tied an old tin can to the tail of the kite. You lied to me, Blanche. Don't say I lied to you. Lies. Lies inside and out. All lies. Never inside. I didn't lie in my heart. Flores. Flores para los muertos. Flores. Flores. What? Oh. Somebody outside. No, no, not now, not now. Flores para los muertos. Flores para los muertos. Crumble and fade and regrets. Recriminations. If you'd done this, it would have cost me that. Corones para los muertos. Corones. Legacies. <laughs> and other things such as bloodstains, pillow slips. Her linen needs changing. Yes, mother. But couldn't we get a colored girl to do it? No, we couldn't, of course. Everything gone but the... Flores! Death. I used to sit here and she used to sit over there and death was as close as you are. We didn't dare even admit we had ever heard of it. The opposite is desire. So do you wonder? How could you possibly wonder? Not far from Belle Reve, before we had lost Belle Reve, was a camp where they trained young soldiers. On Saturday nights, they would go in town to get drunk. 
And on the way back, they would stagger onto my lawn and call, Blanche, Blanche. The deaf old lady remaining suspected nothing. But sometimes I slipped outside to answer their calls. Later, the paddy wagon would gather them up like daisies the long way home. What do you want? What I've been missing all summer. Then marry me, Mitch. I don't think I want to marry you anymore. No? You're not clean enough to bring in the house with my mother. Go away, then! Get out of here, quick! Before I start screaming fire! Get out of here, quick! Before I start screaming fire! 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 Now for the epic showdown between Stanley and Blanche. Stone and purity. If I'm reading too much into that. Anyway, um, he is using, what did Kiki call it? I thought this was brilliant. Sexual intimidation. He is, remember when Kiki Palmer said that and people roasted her and I just thought it was brilliant because I understand what that means when she says that he's walking around um, saying he's so happy he's about to have a child. Um, He came home to get a night's rest and then he'll go back to the hospital to meet mother and baby tomorrow. But in the meantime, it's just him and Blanche in the house and he's taking off his shirt. He's um, like, like stripping, yeah, basically exactly. um, speaking very crudely. She tries to get past him. He won't let her pass. And it frightens her so much that she breaks a bottle and threatens to cut him. Yep. And he rapes her. Yep. Um, and on stage, the scene is portrayed in a way where one of the walls of the house falls in and the chaos of the street seems to be pouring into the chaos of the apartment, mm. really showing how unprotected Blanche is. Mm. And how exposed she is in this place. Um, So anyway, unfortunately, weeks pass. Um, Eunice and Stella are talking now. They're standing over Blanche. And secretly, Stella has confessed to Eunice that she can't believe her sister and go on and go on living with Stanley. Now that right there she was a lot. She cannot believe that Stanley raped her and go on living with her husband and her new baby. So she has chosen not to believe her sister. And heartbreaking. Have her committed. Instead, she's going to have her committed to a mental hospital. Um, Eunice enforces that you're right, Stella, you should never believe her because we have to keep on living. Honey. Um, in the end, um, a mental health doctor, <laughs> probably not even that qualified from some loony bin establishment, that. Um, Stanley could afford so I don't know or maybe some municipal um, service can't comes to get her um, there's a tussle she's like I forgot something she wants to go back in the house but there's nothing for her there and so um, eventually she calms down and she agrees to go with the doctor and the nurse and she tells the doctor I've always relied on the kindness of strangers and that's the end I'm gonna take a break yeah all right let's do it Alexis, what did you think of A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams? Would you recommend someone see the play and read the play? Hey, let me just say, as I was reading this play, all I could envision was Marlon Brando. Was Marlon Brando <laughs> and Vivian played that role Lay. so well. Yeah, he played it really well. 
he played it in the original performance Mm -hmm. and he played it in the movie. Movie, Yeah. So this role is his role. Mm -hmm. And so I love the story. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it in my youth, of course, I didn't understand Mm -hmm. the story. But watching it as an adult and knowing what's actually happening within this story is Mm -hmm. just a lot. Mm -hmm. There are so many angles. And And a very short work. Like, this is a very short play. Very short piece of work. And it has so much depth to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Blanche's character... She's going through these moods. I, I'm sometimes I, having heard Tennessee Williams' account, mm-hmm. I wonder if his sister is in there somewhere. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's his sister mm-hmm. because she is emotionally broken. So yes, I would recommend. Um, actually, you could just get away watching the movie. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's in there. It's it's all in there. But to see the fulfilled characters played out and the background, it's great. It's worth it. You could just watch the movie <laughs> and really appreciate it. But if you just love to read like I do, like we do, add the book, add the play in there too. Yeah. Because it um, appropriately or perfectly describes the scenery, the... Um, the streetcar named Desire is mm-hmm. a train or um, streetcar. Streetcar. <laughs> the streetcar. Yeah. Literally named Desire. Mm-hmm. And how that is that is weaved through the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. How about you, Kari? Oh, and I would indeed recommend it yeah. if I didn't say that already. But how about you? Would you recommend it? Would you say the book? Would you say also the movie? Um, I was so excited to cover this because um, actually um, toward the end here, I've been looking for the audible version that I found. So oh. I read it and I listened to the audible version and you can watch the movie, but there's so much I missed that I didn't find until I read it, read it. Um, and that made me want to hear it an audio performance. And there's a version that's free on Audible right now. It's by the Williamtown, Williamstown Theater Festival. Yeah, so it stars Audra McDonald and her performance Whoa. as Blanche Whoa. is the best I've ever heard in my life. I wish this could have came to the stage, but because of COVID, they decided to make it an audio performance. Are you kidding? And we all benefit from it because she is just brilliant. Oh, I can't wait to hear I've that. I've never heard the colors in this character that I heard in her performance. You explained it well that she is both when she's fiery and angry, she's still so delicate she and fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of my favorite lines, I've never I don't remember them from the movie and I didn't always catch them. Like um, when she's arguing with Mitch, that whole that whole scene is just my favorite. She goes, um, oh, he says something about something really shocking about her past. She goes, oh, rub a dub dub, three men in a tub. And what a filthy tub. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. Okay. And um, you were at the Flamingo where you took your, I was at the tarantula where I took my victims. <laughs> wow, girl. Like, wow. But I think, I 
think that's still really hard. It yeah. needs to be softened up. Oh no, the way I'm doing it, yeah, yeah. But those layers are there. When, uh, when Audra does it, she is both soft and hard. Oh, as you I need can't to wait be. To it is perfection. That. So uh, oh obviously, goodness. I would recommend you read it, watch the movie, see the play, take in this work in every way you can. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the layers. I appreciate the names of everyone. How um, Stella and Blanche are complete opposites. How Stella um, means star and Blanche is like white and purity. And then Stanley. White Lily, right? Yeah. Or it can mean, yeah, but white and purity and just cleanness and untouched naivety even. And Stanley means stone and he's hard and he, he just comes in smashing everything. Um, there are a couple of themes, the main themes I wanted to discuss <laughs> quickly. Uh, one being desire and death. When she arrives to the Kowalskis and this is brilliant. Blanche says she wrote a streetcar named Desire, then transferred to a streetcar named Cemeteries, which brought her to a street named Elysian Fields. Are you familiar with Elysian Fields and like no. mythology? Um, that is depicted as the afterlife in mythology oh. in a lot of um, yeah works. Cemeteries, of course. And then does, what brought her to this? Desire. desire. So this is like symbolic of her life, which has been led by sexual desires in which she's tried to find stability and comfort, but failed. Um, and this will ultimately lead to her death. Mm. Um, on the other hand, Stella's followed desire into a marriage with an abusive husband and desire to keep herself under his fist. She likes being um, under him in a million ways, but also he's her protection. But she loves him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's caught up in that cycle of a toxic relationship. Exactly. However, her end is one of life because she just bore a child yeah. and will continue in her marriage. Um, Blanche says that she lost the family home even to epic fornications. She said that. Yeah. That was such a loaded phrase. But whatever it to means, it goes back to des desire. Yeah, she said due to the epic fornications of her ancestors and her husband's homosexuality and her revealing what she knew led to his suicide again to death. And when she's arguing with Mitch, a woman is selling flowers for the dead outside. Yeah. Yeah. All and of this the shows way that reads in this book mm -hmm. is like there's two conversations going on, but you can still hear that overhead. Mm hmm. Um, the woman wants um, Blanche to buy yeah. to buy a flower for herself because she's selling flowers for the dead. It's almost foreshadowing Blanche's end. And all of this shows the connection between unbridled lust and death, both figuratively and literally, which is so poignant for um, Tennessee Williams, who saw that direct connection so often in his life. Um, and then there's the theme of reality versus fantasy. Oop, Blanche, lots of that. Yeah, Blanche says she doesn't want reality. She wants magic. <laughs> when she was so in the frank. tub, she was singing that mm -hmm. as he is revealing to Stella this story about his sister. And then when Mitch comes over and reveals everything he he, uh, he knows about her, she's very frank. She doesn't want to be real. Yeah. That's why she, she acts the that. way she does. That's why she only lets men see her under the dimness of night or in the evening. Um, that's why she talks the way she does. It's all about this 
unreality that she wants to live in. A fantasy. And Stanley's committed to inflict his reality on everyone and everything around him. You can just read into his character that he wasn't born from a loving household. He has to fight for everything he's had in life and he has nothing. (laughs) So, um, Which will leave you with nothing. Yeah, yeah. He despises makeup and glamour, preferring pain and destruction. And he proudly took his wife, he says, off her pedestal before marrying her. Now, if that ain't toxic, I don't know what is. And he is proud of that. Mm -hmm. Proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. So in conclusion, I would highly recommend um, this work for adults. And uh, yeah, I would. I'm ready to read it again. I want to listen to the audio version again. The audio version. So good. That was the the best. And we saw, um, what's her name from X-Files? Oh, oh, I always want to say Jillian Flynn, who's an author. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we saw Jillian Anderson do this performance on television during COVID. There were um, professional um, what performances being yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, broadcast across YouTube, broadcast on YouTube. Anyway, um, and you and one of our friends were like, that was terrible. It was hard to watch. And I was like, no, she was good. I love the character. And she was good in a lot of ways. But all of my attention was on her accent. And so then she wasn't the best in this role. She um, was although terrible. she's a brilliant actor. Um, but Asha McDonald, good grief. That was not the role for Julian. Yeah, Anderson. Anderson. Not the role for her at all. No worries. It was no good. But uh, so, yeah, that's it. Loved it. Can't wait to take it in again. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what are we reading next week, Kari? We are reading Serrano de Bergerac. (laughs) A play by Edmund Rostin. Oh, another play. Yeah. So I just I wanted to throw this in there. Um. Because on the plane, I had an opportunity to watch. She's been traveling a lot, remake. So I was like, you know what? I didn't know this was a book. Again, I'm learning all types (laughs) of things about these things being books, plays. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I just want to read that before the season is out. Yeah, this is from. This is a contemporary play from 1897. Yeah. So (laughs) thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week. Thursday. Let's Society is brought to you by me, Alexis <laughs> Anaria, and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five, five stars star review on our show, Apple Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And leave a comment on Apple Podcasts about why you absolutely love us because we, we love, love you, you too. too. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Let Society. Visit LizSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read read something. something.